What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 122 of Cool Down Time. This is a weekly show where two longtime friends cool down, crack jokes, and talk about video games. I'm your graphically outdated host, Marco. Uh, joining me is the technical mess of the show, Pablo, uh, who is here as well. Pablo, uh, how are you doing this week, man? What's been going on with you? Hey, you know, it's been pretty good, but why outdated? Uh, you know, I'm having one of those, I'm having one of those moments again, man, uh, where I feel like I dress like a dad now, you know, like I've seen, I've seen how the prototypical dad rolls, like, you know, the, the khaki short kind of thing, the, the rundown t-shirt situation, the throw on a hat, the neck beard. I feel like I got that going on this week. So I I don't feel so impressive this time around. I think you just have to embrace it man it's like yeah it's like it is what it is at a certain point where it's like you realize dads dress like that not because they're making a fashion statement is they got no time for nothing else yeah yeah all i'm missing is like the the dingy pair of puma uh sneakers and then i'm uh, my 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 whole setup is complete you got the puma the starter kit or the new balances yeah yeah the new yeah it's it's a new balances now yeah definitely the new balances new balances with the tube socks yeah yeah don't let that happen uh, to me tucked in don't let that tucked in uh button up no i mean look my son is is growing fast but he's like in a super messy you know in a messy mode just like everything he does he throws it when he wants no more food what his method of telling you no is literally hitting the food out of the spoon so Ah, you know runs runs in the family yeah, so I'm taking care of him here every uh, few days here. He's staying with me, and I'm walking around here for hours with, with stains on my shirt like it's nothing. Yeah. So you ain't got to worry about that, bro. It is what it is. It is the burden in which we have to take on in fatherhood. Just be dingy, nasty, yep. and disgusting human pieces okay see i I wanted you to stop and you just you not only did you keep going but but you you slowed down and enunciated every syllable every word you didn't have to do that you never have to do what you do but you do it Um, i do it well there's our uh prototypical parenthood related introduction for the show (laughs) out of the way uh but uh, other than that i've been uh i've been doing pretty well uh just been it i've been actually uh and we'll talk about it in loadouts but i've been kind of in a little groove with uh playing some older games right now while we're kind of in this this last little lull before things get absolutely uh bananas uh but from now to the end of the year so i'm enjoying this little downtime to uh Revisit some old stuff, but we'll talk about that in a second. But speaking of what we're going to talk about in this week's episode, Pablo, why don't you go ahead and run us through what is on the docket uh, in episode 122. On this episode, we're going to reveal our hopes and fears and final hype scores for Starfield. Plus, will Modern Warfare 3 be a critical failure? Stay tuned for our predictions. Also, Alan Wake 2 got delayed. But should we be concerned? We'll discuss that as well. And then, which console fanboys are the worst? We're going to let you be the judge. We got some things to say. Marco definitely has some things to say. Oh, yeah. And lastly, in our main event, we're telling each other to go blank ourselves with a tense, fill-in-the-blank gaming interrogation in our checkpoint chat. That should be a fun one, Marco. Yes, sir. All right. Well, speaking of which, man, why don't we go ahead and get this show rolling? 
with a segment dedicated to the games we've been playing since our listeners last heard from us, and that is called Loadouts. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, so this week, very much uh, the calm before the storm, as it were. So, uh, you know, uh, coming close to Starfield, which we'll be talking about later on in the episode. We've got Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate out here pretty soon on PlayStation 5. But in the meantime, Pablo, we have... Uh, Circled back to the Expanse, a Telltale series once again, because we finally got a chance to play uh, episode two of this series um, this week as well. And we wanted to catch up our listeners on how we're feeling so far. Um, And Pablo, I want to kick it over to you. You know, episode two coming off the heels of a really strong first episode that kind of set the tone and the pace and got the characters all established. So uh, how did you feel about episode two as a follow up so far? And and how do you feel like it's potentially setting up the rest of this uh, this story? Well, I want to say before I I, I talk about that is it is a miracle from heaven that every time it'll say loadouts. I just get into my ludicrous mode and just get and say rollout. Okay. Uh, no. I, I have to. I have to take that and breathe that in and keep it within you, my heart. So, so wait a minute. It. You waited until the one hundred and twenty second episode to share that you've had Luda dreams in your in in your heart. Every 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 episode you say loadout and I want to go roll out. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, not in the show tune type of singing well, voice like, that that was. I did. I sound like George Strait. I said ludicrous, like George Strait. <laughs> okay. Goodness Only gracious, here on cooldown great. time, ladies and gentlemen. Fire. Uh, but no, let's get into it here, uh, Marco. Please stop distracting me. Oh, wow. Uh, Gaslighting. The Expanse. A Telltale Serial. Oh, um, God. Here we go. I went go. into French. my AI robot. <laughs> I like this game. It's really nice. <laughs> it's Pablo GPT here on the show. No, man, we, we didn't talk about this episode uh, of The Expanse last week because there were some issues with the episode rolling out. Hey, yeah. there you go. Uh, and it's it was finally here, and we played it. Listen, um, Marco, one thing you said to me when we talked about it briefly a couple of days ago is that it's your typical Telltale series uh, episode two. And yeah, I agree with that. It, it, it's... It's not the most exciting of episodes. It is a continuation, a direct continuation of what happened in the first episode. There are minor, I guess I would call them minor because I wouldn't know exactly how they, they're going to, what they're going to do to episode three, four, how these are going to affect that. But I feel like minor choices here, nothing like grandiose is happening. But it is, however, setting up the story. And it is doing a very important thing was it's setting up your interactions with your crew members, kind of getting you, getting a feel for some characters that you might have thought were one dimensional in the first episode, like Khan, who's the the pilot of the ship, and I think that this episode is in it's it's a indicate it's it's indicating to me that the writing is still like their strong suit, like they're still they still are in their bag when it comes to that, and I am really excited of what's to what's to come. I will say that I I I was a little thrown off, or not thrown off, but more or less kind of like questioning why they would go back to the searching for for scrap again type of game uh, gameplay moment a lot of ta- telltale games they don't really rinse and repeat a lot of like set pieces sure the the, the gameplay is the gameplay but i was a little confused why they did that it made sense and it, and it added a little flavor to it but ultimately for me i hope that going forward that we see something a little bit more than what we're seeing in terms of uh of all we've seen is the the, the ship uh 
right other yeah. a pirate ship i want to see a little more of the world you know i wanted to expand <laughs> okay <laughs> How you doing? All right. um, no, no. no but i i i'm really enjoying this man it is it is shaping up to be one of my favorites uh right up there with uh with the walking dead and and, and the wolf among us which are excellent excellent um uh, games i don't know if this is going to live up to that but so far it's doing a really good job yeah uh, i would agree i i think that uh as a Episode two, uh, like you said, in, in typical telltale fashion, episode one usually starts off pretty white hot in terms of kind of getting you all set up with the premise and um, putting you in some tense situations. And then they kind of slow things down a little bit with episode two, give you a little bit more time to chat it up a little bit more with some of the characters that you're with. And, and they, they followed that same pattern here, uh, which I think was necessary because the one thing that I, I guess struck me from episode one was I really wasn't attached to almost anybody except right. for the lead character drummer. Um, and I felt like that Fantastic. could that could be problematic because yeah she's she's a standout character but she was the only standout character but I think this mm -hmm. is this is helping to sort of build some relationships with the crew and I think that's necessary um, to kind of make future decisions you'll be making in the story more meaningful and maybe more difficult uh, if if lives are potentially at stake which they usually are in a Telltale series. Um, so there is that. I, I think um, to your point about the scrapping and, you know, just kind of salvaging from from derelict ships, I I was a little surprised they went back to that again. It does fit the, you know, the the, the lore right. a little bit that they're always kind of struggling. The Belters, which are kind of a, a they're a group of people that don't belong to Earth or Mars they are just kind of stuck in space, but they kind of claim certain regions of space as their own. But they, they they're, they're more of like the hardworking lunch pail work type of, of grunts out there and this is what they do um it's like the best depiction i'm talking about the show now but the best depiction of the working class right that i've seen in in in, in a lot of literature of tv movies just because it's so unique yeah. but it's so so much in common that we have with them yep. and i love that the, the game is capturing that beautifully yeah they definitely do now I, I do agree that you know you can be a little too good at that and not really do anything else that's interesting and i that's what i'm hoping they move away from in future episodes to your point but yeah uh episode two for me was another strong entry um, already, I, I like this a lot. Already, I can envision this being in my top ten. Uh, should no other oh. game bump it out? Uh, but absolutely. But uh, I say that now, and then you know, five games can come along between now and the end of the year that just completely wreck shop on my list. Yeah. So, but there's something about a well written, well executed Telltale game that resonates with us uh, in in a lot of ways. I know uh, uh, The Walking Dead was big for you. Uh, yeah. The Wolf Among Us was massive for us. Um, so if this game can, at the very least, not topple those, but be in the same class of game, hey, it's no question. It's top 10, perhaps even top five, really, if you think about it. But we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see where this lands. It's five episodes. It's, it's five episodes, including the bonus episode. Right. Six. Okay. All right. Five, cool. five and so, one. Yeah. Five and one. I can't wait. It's, I'm so excited. We have to wait two weeks, but I, it's worth the wait. It's yeah. Worth the wait. I would agree. Um, but that's not all we played, Pablo. Uh, as we kind of hinted in the intro of the show, uh, this dry spell, uh, this calm before the storm has given us some time to uh, revisit some games that we've been meaning to come back to. And uh, the two that we're going to be talking about uh, just so happen to be among our personal favorites of all time, respectively, of course. You didn't um, play that. What's that? 
that we didn't plan that at all. Not really. No, no, no. Uh, but it just kind of worked out that way. I, I, I figured that you played that because of, you know, the a, a certain remaster that's coming yes, out. Absolutely. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and, and and walk us through what you were up to instead of hinting at it forever? What do you got? Yeah, Marco, you're, you're referring to Red Dead Redemption to the epilogue, um, and it's like frustrating because. You see so much of what you see in Red Dead Redemption 1 already rebuilt in the uh, the Red Dead Redemption 2 engine, where it's like, why can't you just have kept going and and kept making this? It would have been fantastic. But, you know, uh, I played through Red Dead Redemption 2 a whole lot. It's, it's, It's one of my favorite games. It's my favorite Rockstar game. Top two, top three, depending on the day you ask me. Uh, but funny enough, I only played through the epilogue the one time. And the reason for that is the first playthrough, I was so exhausted with that game, like 120 whatever hours in. By the time I got to the epilogue, I was kind of ready for it to end and I kind of rushed through that epilogue. And now I'm taking my time with it. And I have to say, it's pretty insane Rockstar basically putting something out that could have been a story-based DLC. Uh, at, just, just tacked it on at the end of Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, when you look at what Rockstar has done in the past with their story DLC, Lost in the Damned, The Ballad of Gay Tony, uh, and, and, and those are fantastic, and, and, and Undead Nightmares uh, for Red Dead Redemption 1, yeah. those are incredible DLCs, and they are amongst the best story-based DLCs, and I would have loved for them to have taken their time with, with this epilogue, because it's amazing, it sets up, it's essential for Red Dead Redemption 1, how it sets it up, but it is rushed, you know, towards the middle of it, it just, it it, it, it ends almost abruptly where it's like you find Micah and, and then that's it, you know, it, it's it, it's too quick and I feel like I would have loved to live in that world a little bit more. Some people always kind of say that and, and, and I, don't, I don't blame them, like the beginning of Red Dead Redemption 1 is filled with a lot of like jobs, like like getting cattle yeah and and there's a lot of that in red dead redemption to the epilogue for sure i don't mind that because i love those characters so much and i'm kind of immersed in a story where this is his ranch and and beecher's hope and he's trying to make the best of it i would have loved a little bit more than that i would have loved a little bit more connection with the other gang members uh you know to kind of give you more context for what was to come for uh red dead redemption one but ultimately for me this is just uh and then it just continues to 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 surprise me a game that continues to surprise me and the the epilogue just being so incredible in, in so many different ways and how it just beautifully blends into red dead redemption one that it, it, it it's amazing and it's equally frustrating because it could have been more and then on top of that you get this red dead redemption port which is fucking it's it's so frustrating because we could have gotten at the very least a nice remaster because i tried to go back to red dead redemption one after spending another 15 20 hours with rd uh uh with rdr2 and it was like this is rough this is really really rough and so you know that's unfortunate um but uh, i look forward to, to more and i hope that rockstar doesn't abandon red dead redemption like they tend to do at times and i hope it doesn't take another 10 15 years to see another one though uh, if I, we see one in the next five i'd be shocked <laughs> yeah that's what I, that's where I, that's where i'm at right now other than that not, not playing much a little bit of, of of rainbow six siege just really gearing up for for what's to come uh in the next couple of weeks yeah yeah totally understandable um yeah and to that point um i've also been playing one of my favorite games of all time again and that is persona 5 royal um, you know, I, you know, a little sunlight. light. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just a, just a 95 hour RPG is all. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, 
I don't know. I, I kind of stumbled into it, to be honest with you. I was kind of like fiddling around. I had already finished The Expanse. I was kind of looking for that next thing to do. And I'm like, eh, I'm on Game Pass. I'm scrolling. I'm like, eh, screw it. Let me let me download this and <laughs> let me put a little bit of time into it. It, it, it's, it runs really well on Series X. It runs at 120 frames per second on all the series, like all the Personas do on Xbox for some reason. They don't do that in any other console. So exclusive. Thank you, Phil. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, let me just try it out. And then all of a sudden I look at the save that I just did before we recorded and I'm 24 hours in. Oh <laughs> like, my gosh. What happened? And what it was is just, this game is, is just different, man. It really is. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't want to dwell on everything that makes Persona 5 great. If you're a fan of this series, you know exactly what it is that makes this series great and why 5 is so special. Um, in a lot of ways, I think Persona 5 is to Persona what Final Fantasy 7 was for Final Fantasy in that it was the, mm-hmm. the breakthrough kind of game uh, yeah. for the series. And um, and so it, it it's just it's going to have a special place in my heart. I've played four. I've 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 fiddled around with three a little bit. I'm waiting more for the the remake that's coming next year. Oh yeah, that's coming. But five just it hits different. And you know, I finally through playing it in in these 24 hours I put into it, they just went like a breeze. And it's like that doesn't happen very often. Um, it, so I, I I had to come to terms with the fact that it was too low on my all time list. Um, now it was in my top 10 already, but it was at the, I was going to say is like, yeah, it, it was there. It was just at the, I think it was at the number eight spot. So I moved, okay. I moved it up not too far, but I moved it up to the sixth spot. Um, and I had to move and this is where I kind of got a little, little, little freaky with my list here, but I moved, um, oh. I moved Knights of the Old Republic down Whoa. to seven. Now, if you know me well, you know that. KOTOR has always been in my top three for forever. It's always been Metal Gear, Final Fantasy VII, KOTOR. Um, That's funny. But I think that I think I'm at a point now where, you know, I, I will always love KOTOR. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Always will be. But I think it's been outclassed by other games that have come out since then. And I don't hold it too. It's it's always that dilemma with with all time lists because you can't hold certain things against the game because it's it's an old ass game. And obviously, yeah. Mass Effect has done more for Bioware than KOTOR has in terms of systems and conversational mechanics and things like that. But, sure. you know, but also, I just feel like certain games have become closer to me, like in, in my heart as a gamer since KOTOR. Uh, and I finally had to kind of reevaluate it and go, this doesn't feel right anymore. So maybe it'll go back up my list one day. Maybe it won't. But Persona 5 to me was a priority and getting it higher up my list. I don't think it'll ever crack my top five. My top five now I feel like is pretty untouchable at this point. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later on actually, but, um, yeah, this is just me kind of hanging, uh, handing out some flowers to Persona 5 once more is to me pound for pound, perhaps one of the best JRPGs of all time, uh, in terms of music, characters, story, combat system, and, uh, the social aspect of the game. I just think all of it, is just peak RPG uh, fair uh, in, in the gaming space. So shout out to Persona 5. And for those of you who have not tried this series out before and you like RPGs, you got to go try it out. Don't do it now. Don't do, do it, it now. Right now. You son of a bitch. There's too many games coming. I mean, because I, I mean that from a place I want you of to like, uninstall this game will your, suck Uninstall you. your Starfield preload right now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Because it, I, I'm, honestly, yeah, this game will suck you right in hey. and just completely, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> All right. I think you have the creepier laugh than me, actually. Now that I'm, now that I just heard that one, I feel like that that's finally, that just got settled. That just got hmm. settled. No, no resistance either. He totally, he's like, yep, that's probably true. Um, I'll take it. Yeah, I know you will. Um, all right. Well, before we move on, if you like what you're hearing so far and you don't mind Pablo's creepy laughter, we'd like you to uh, show us some support. Now, look, Cooldown Time is a gaming podcast with no paid bias, no paywalls, no ads, because we believe in providing you with fun and high quality content to get you through your day without asking you for money or boring you with annoying sponsorships. All right. So if you like what we stand for, all we ask in return is to consider subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you stream us, and maybe leave a nice review for us while you're there. And if you're feeling extra cool, which you very well might be, you can also follow us on X and Instagram at It's Cooldown Time to hit us up with your questions, comments, and support for our show. Uh, but for now, let's go ahead and move on to the news segment of the show that we call Hit Points. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, Pablo, it is finally happening. Starfield has officially gone gold, man. We're here. Preloads oh, preloads are live. Preloads pre are live. Review copies have been sent out, and the review embargo will lift on August 31st. So, Pablo, let's take this moment to sit back and assess Starfield one last time before it launches by asking a few questions here, Pablo. So we have four quick hit kind of questions we're going to tackle together. And the first one I want to ask you, Pablo, is what are some things that Starfield must accomplish in order for you to consider it a successful Xbox first party title? And alternatively, what would completely take the wind out of your sails? Yeah, I think that... Uh what Starfield has to accomplish is be the next iteration, the next level, the evolution of the Bethesda-style Western RPG. Like, the the main complaint uh, Fallout 4 had was that it was too similar to Fallout 3. I thought that was okay for the time because Fallout 3 is so great. At this point, this just can be like Fallout 4. It, it definitely has to have the same structure, but it has to be more. It has to be better. It has to do all those things that Bethesda is known to do well and elevate them to the next level. Now, I'm not saying they have to do that across the board for everything, but they have to hit a lot of those strides. When it comes to storytelling, when it comes to finishing strong, something that they struggled with in the past, and obviously the performance part of it. If you're going to come at me at 30 frames, which I don't mind, you can't, it cannot be... 30 frames sometimes, and then chugging out of 15, 12. That, that, that's not something that can happen at all. And it, it, with that, that would take the winds out of my sails. If this game is just more Fallout type of game or more um, Skyrim with no real new iterations, uh, and then it having those issues, it, it, it would, for me, be... Uh, and a complete and utter failure. I'm not going to sit here and tell you the game needs to be a specific open critic or metacritic score because if this game scores below 85 we'll it's going to get bashed that, yeah 
Yeah, and it, and if it scores over ninety five, it's gonna be like, oh, it's just fucking Xbox bias. So th- that, there's no winning there. But in that sense, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Where uh, you know, with what it needs to do to be an accomplished game versus what it needs, what it shouldn't do in order for it to just be completely and utterly fucked for <laughs> Xbox and Microsoft. <laughs> Phil. When you make the cusses, you really make the cusses. You you just from the heart, man. You add seasoning all over them bitches. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I think I think as an extension of your answer, Pablo, my answer to this is I think what I want Starfield to accomplish is a sense of true depth. Um, I don't want this game to be an ocean that's two inches deep, you know, like yeah. it's promising you something vast and expansive and so layered and there's so many things you can do. But when you kind of get to each thing you can do, you realize, oh, it's just kind of very surface level or hollow Mm -hmm. in a way that I wasn't expecting. So that's my biggest fear because I think it all comes back to Todd Howard at the end of the day and how he has marketed games in the past. And I've been pretty vocal on the show as being very skeptical of him at times because I think he's a great salesman. And sometimes I think he tends to sensationalize and get a little too bold um, with the way that he talks about his games. And then when you finally get them in your hands, you're like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, he was right, but you really can't do a lot with that feature. I don't want that same feeling to prevail throughout the entirety of Starfield, in my opinion. If it's, I want there to be a true sense of depth and nuance like they have teased there is. And I'm not saying that I uh, have heard that there isn't or anything like that. I've been trying to keep away from spoilers and all that, but yeah. I just think that that's been an innate fear of mine ever yeah. since Starfield got announced. I know he's going to hype it up really, really, really big. But is he going to be honest with me about how deep the game actually is? Has been my concern. Yeah. He's no Peter Molyneux when it comes to exaggerating games, but he does tend to 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 he tends to over overblow or over or overtly sell something that maybe is sure looks like that on the surface, but in reality it's pretty shallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Now that brings us to our next question, Pablo, and this is of course the community being great as always. Uh, and no issues at all. None. 10 out of 10. No, but uh, how do we feel, Pablo, about the trolling, the spoiling, the review bombing that's already happening or um, about to happen with Starfield? Uh, is the toxicity on par or worse than we were expecting here? For me, it looks like it's on par. Some stuff is, is surprising. Uh, Jess Gordon from Windows Central shared someone losing it over the simplicity of the main menu of Starfield. <laughs> um, some of that stuff is just, it's its like we've been talking about for the past few weeks. We've been hammering home the, the, the entire uh, communities of each of these consoles where it's like, man, you guys really out here capping for your, for your console in a way that's like ridiculous. Yeah, but um, a lot of these fucking weirdos are outside, man. They're, they're really out here just, just doing their thing review bombing talking shit about a game uh like if they played it but no none of this is surprising to me none of this seems to be more than not yet anyway i mean we have situations where people are sending their dicks and assholes to people that hasn't happened yet so um you know fingers crossed uh but i um well there yeah, are black I, I holes all- in space you know what i'm saying to you right yeah, now that's true, you know what i mean <laughs> he's talking about the anus yeah uh but um yeah, man, this is on par. It's, it's still it, but that doesn't stop it from being completely embarrassing and ridiculous and uh, absolutely pointless in every way, shape, and form. But 
It is what it is. It's on par for what we are sadly conditioned to expect now with social media being a fucking travesty of an existence. It's just a piece of shit. It made, it's made every human who was screaming into the abyss in their mom's uh, basement have a platform. And now it's been monetized for them to go ahead and, and make some money off of it. Damn, Fuck out of here. They're back in mom's basement again? Damn. Yeah, man. They've always, they've never left. Oh, they've those never ones left. never left? They All just right. got computers. <laughs> They got computers. <laughs> Stupid man. Um, look, I'm I'm gonna kind of disagree a little bit. I'm gonna say that the, okay. I think it's worse than I was expecting. Um, oh really? I I don't know. I feel like a lot of PlayStation fanboys have really went hard in the paint over the last <laughs> couple of days with the trolling and the spoiling of things. And we've had I've seen accounts where people are like showing. Um, you know, creating you know, they screenshot themselves creating a Metacritic account to review bomb, and like creating another one to review bomb again, and like there's people already doing it in the Xbox Marketplace right now, and the game isn't even out yet, and there's people that are literally leaving reviews on the Xbox Marketplace going trash, garbage. So I I think that the effort to tear Starfield down to me feels much more concerted than it did when. Redfall or Hi-Fi Rush or Minecraft Legends came out earlier this year. It feels like they know how big this game is and they're doing everything in their power to ruin everyone's happiness right now. Like, I thought I got spoiled on something um, a couple days back and it turns out that that was somebody who was making up stuff and pretending it was a spoiler. Uh, so thankfully, I, I made it out of that free. But this person was going into random Twitter threads uh, from people talking about Starfield and putting that in as a reply just to kind of ruin everybody's excitement for the game and or a big plot point at the end of the game or something. So it to me, it just feels like people are in overdrive right now. I think I, I, I think there's a little bit of jealousy here. I really do. I think that some yeah. of these PlayStation fans, the, the sodium levels are rising right now. Marco, if, if I owned a place, if I only owned a PlayStation 5 and didn't have a PC that could run it, I would be jealous too. Now, I wouldn't sign on to a fake Xbox account and Metacritic and, and, and review, review bomb it or, or talk shit about the game that I've not played. But yeah, I'd be jealous. Just these people don't have any kind of restraint at all. It's just, it's. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Now, speaking of uh, review bombing, let's talk about reviews, Pablo. Uh, let's refresh our listeners on what our open critic predictions were for Starfield. And let's ask uh, ourselves, are we still feeling confident about those scores now that we're coming close to the game's launch? So, yeah, I, my prediction was 90. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling good about it. Uh, I think that in my humble opinion, if this game does everything that it, I want it to do, it, it, it should rate higher, like 96, uh, you know, with, with Breath of the Wilds and, and, and the Baldur's Gate 3. But I think because of just the nature of things, and I think, um, and, and I keep bringing this up, but I think the, the what it's what it means now to be online and, and what it means to, to make money off these things, I think that there's a, a perverse kind of incentive to... Uh, be a a voice that that stands out 
And and that doesn't mean for good. It means if, if everybody's going one way, I'll go the other. And I think ultimately with, 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 with aggregates and just the way that works, I think that we're going to get around a 90 uh, for, for Starfield. Not based off the quality of the game, just based off, you know, those kinds of, of, of parameters. Um, but I, 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 I do think that I feel good with the 90. Just in terms of competition and, and what we're competing here, I feel good that, I, that I'm going to edge you out. But... I would love it if it's higher than 90, obviously. But that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, um, my prediction was 92. Um, and I will admit I'm a little shaky on that right now. Um, not because I don't think the game can, can genuinely be that good, but I my biggest concern now is I feel like there's going to be some reviewers out there who are going to use this as an opportunity to kind of show their ass and, yeah. and get some clickbait kind of... You know, some basically hate clicks for leaving a, a lower or an average review score for the game. Um, everyone knows how big of a, a release this is for Xbox, and I would not be surprised whatsoever if you know we see some weird back channel nobody ass website decide mm, we need some more traffic here. Seven, mm-hmm. you know, like Starfield to me is the kind of game where somebody would do that. And that's what makes oh, me a little concerned. Um, you know, I, I feel like people have been much more earnest in their reviews about Tears of the Kingdom and Baldur's Gate 3 and other titles. This one, just something is kind of nagging me a little bit that makes me wonder if I may I may have shot too high. I think if the game is based purely off of its merits and we don't have any of that foolery going on, I think it can absolutely hit 92. I just I cannot trust the review sphere right now. I just can't do it. No, I I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't start no shit, y'all. Um, but nevertheless, uh, Pablo, uh, let's round out our Starfield conversation with one final question. And that is, what is your final hype score for Starfield on a scale of one through five? And what's your reasoning behind it at this point? Five, motherfuckers. Uh, it's it's five. Uh, All right. Now while I'm drinking water. <laughs> Don't do that while I'm drinking my water. Five. I mean, straight up. I mean, obviously, it's coming soon. So it's like right around the corner. So it's the excitement of that. But also, we're about to get a brand new Bethesda RPG. Not only that. A new IP from the studio in what twenty five plus years. Uh, it's a big game for Xbox. Uh, it's essentially one of the reasons that we found found out why they've bought uh, Bethesda to begin with. They got they got full power behind it, money behind it, great creators behind it. Uh, I mean, they, I couldn't ask for a more Pablo ass game unless it was like. A, a a Zelda game made by Bethesda in the <laughs> you know like that's kind of like where where I'm at but I am super excited uh cannot wait for <laughs> August 31st 8 p.m. I'm going to be I'm going to be out here doing my thing I cannot wait till it's oh, 5 yeah. all the yeah. way my my score is the same I think I think my score went up a point um because I think the last time we talked about this I think so I was really skeptical um about the things I talked about earlier sure. with Todd Howard and you know Bug Thesda and that, that that whole stigma around them, I, I've I've since softened a little bit on that and I'm I'm ready to say I'm I'm full blown excited for this game. I think at its very best, if it does what it's supposed to do, this game can shoot right up my all time lists uh, very quickly. Um, it is very much for sure. me as a big sci fi fan. 
um, one of those dream games that come around that you go, ooh, if that does what I want it to do, this thing can be top five material, top three material, who knows? Um, and, and so I have a lot of high hopes, but I'm also staying very grounded as well. And knowing that we're going to have some rough around the edges moments in this game is going to, there are going to be bugs. There are going to be people out here doing the T pose. Uh, there's going to be all that, you know, but I think at the end of the day, um, if they realized their vision, the way they think they have, then I think this is going to be a very special game uh, that can easily be at the top of my game of the year list this year. Uh, so we will Absolutely. see. Uh, we only have a few short weeks to go before uh, early access begins and the review embargo lifts uh, on August 31st. So we will uh, obviously check back on how Starfield is coming along when the time comes. But for now, we do need to move on to the next news item, Pablo. And we got to talk Call of Duty. Uh Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 has officially been revealed, and contrary to previous rumors that suggested this would only be an expansion to Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, this will be a full-blown standalone game that will continue the story of Captain Price and Task Force 141 as they take on Mr. No Russian himself. Vladimir Makarov. The game will feature open-ended combat missions and open-world PvE zombies mode, and of course PvP multiplayer that will be bringing back every map from the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 from 2009. So, it's time for us to make our open critic predictions for this Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 release, and to discuss how we're feeling about this game based on what we know so far. Yeah, nothing about uh, this excites me, but that's par for the course for every Call of Duty game. Nothing when they talk about the story and Makarov and Price and what, whatever they talk about when it comes to introducing the, the mission structures. I never really get too excited because it's it's a game that I have to play in order to, to kind of gauge, is this the Call of Duty that I'm going to like or is this not a, a game that I'm going to be into? So that that's kind of where I'm at. Um, though I will say that the open uh, ended mission structure is interesting because it's it's the first time they do something like that and I think they flirted with it in the past where it's like really large areas but they, they, they definitely take you down one way so it's interesting to see that they're using the, the massive maps that they usually have where you can't go anywhere uh, but where they want you to the fact that you can kind of finish missions in, in different ways and tackle objectives in different ways I think that's super interesting for sure but ultimately for me it's a game that I gotta get my hands on to really kind of uh, realize, understand whether or not this is going to be the year, uh, an on year for Call of Duty for me. As for what my prediction is, I'm going to go conservative here just based on the fact okay. that this is where it's been in the All last right. couple of years. I'm going to go 83. Score. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I actually didn't hate Modern Warfare 2 last year. I thought that the single player, while it was very short-lived, I, I, I found it to be pretty cool. Um, you know, it didn't knock me off my feet, but there were a couple of, you know, missions where I was like, this is, this yep. is pretty cool. And they just so happened to be the more open-ended missions that you kind of teased they had been flirting with recently. Um, so I'm, I am intrigued to see how they expand upon that. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel like if I'm making an open critic prediction with a year like this, where we're seeing these massive RPGs come back to back, Starfield, Baldur's Gate 3 that are really pushing the the industry forward. I feel like reviewers are going to be a little bit more harsh 
towards Call of Duty's derivative nature, even though, even though you know, even though it it might just be the same as it ever was, I think people sure, might be a little bit a more point. tough on it because it's like we're playing all these groundbreaking RPGs that are setting a new standard, and here you are doing the same military shooter. Yeah, so I think reviews are going to be a little bit weird like that. So I'm going to go with 78 uh, as as a score. I don't think they're going to completely murder the game, but I think that we're going to see okay. a little bit more of the fangs come out for this, this very commercialized derivative shooter thing that Call of Duty obviously is. And the reason I, and the re- one uh, kind of more context for my 83 is just the fact that a lot of these websites are giving fans of the series the chance to review the game, right? For for example, years ago, I remember um, when Greg Miller worked at IGN, he's never played a Yakuza game and they had him review all the Yakuza games or something like that. So it's like now it's like they'll get a fan of the series to to to, to review it because they'll understand the nuances that of the series itself. So I feel like if they accomplish the open-ended missions and... and, and and they the the the, the Makarov stuff does pay off story wise. I think that a lot of those guys are gonna be like, actually, this is this is a little more than what they've done in the past, and that's why it's eighty three for me. Okay, yeah. fair enough, yeah. fair enough. Well, why don't we go ahead and keep the show rolling, Pablo? You got some news items you want to kick off as well, so go ahead and take it away. In a recent post on X, it's uh, Twitter for those of you who are living under a fucking rock. <laughs> <laughs> Remedy announced that the launch of Alan Wake 2 has been pushed back 10 days from October 17th to October 27th. They stated October is an ama- oh, they stated in a quote, October is an amazing month for game launches and we hope this date shift gives more space for everyone to play their favorite games, uh, unquote. Do we buy this reason, Marco? Or do we think there's something more nefarious going on underneath it all? Um, I buy it. I, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, Remedy has never really been super shady to me before. You okay? You, you coughing on yeah. oxygen right now? What are, you, what are you going through over there? Yep. Um, no, uh... I, I think that this is a nothing burger. Uh, I, I think that ultimately Remedy understands that they are coming into a very, very packed um, fall season. And I think they know that it's very cramped. And if they want to, you know, really maximize this comeback for Alan Wake, we haven't seen this IP since for, for what, like 13, 14 years or something like that. I mean, if you yeah, really yeah. want to bring this series back and get eyes on it again, you can't do it by sandwiching it between, you know, other big releases. You just can't do that. So if 10 days gives a little bit more breathing room to fans uh, like you and me, um, or it gives people an opportunity who maybe never played an Alan Wake before to, you know, roll credits on whatever they're playing and go, hey, hmm, Alan Wake 2's out. What's that about? Then I think it's a smart decision and I have no issue with it whatsoever. Uh, whatever gets, whatever is the best outcome for them in terms of critical and commercial success, I'm totally down for. And if that's what they think this is, then by all means, go for it. When the first Alan Wake launched, I think a week later, Red Dead Redemption launched and completely Oof. just wipe the floor with with that new ip but also it dominated the conversation obviously i think that they're do i think that they saw the writings on the wall because it's it's assassin's creed mirage it got moved up but you still got forza motorsport early on then 
if you would have stuck to your 17th, you would have had Spider-Man 2 coming out October 20th, and also Super Mario's Wonder coming off in the say on the same day. Uh, so the, the 27th is perfect. It's 10 days after those games that come out, it, it's a perfect chance for them to really give Alan Wake 2 an actual chance of 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 being with being in the conversation and not being overshadowed by the likes of Spider-Man or, or, or Mario. So yeah, I buy it too. I think that it is super smart. I think that, um, it's, it's gonna really work out for them really well because I think, uh, this game deserves the attention and I'll be honest with you. I love Alan Wake. I cannot wait for Alan Wake too, but I don't know if I would been able to give it my undivided attention knowing damn well that Spider-Man two is sitting right there two fucking days later, along with Mario wonder. So it's, it's, it's a rough, it's rough for them. And I, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm glad that they actually did this. Uh, and I, and I hope that, uh, I hope that, that, I hope that is the reason I do buy it though. I do buy it. So I hope that's the reason. And there's no further delays where the game comes out and it's kind of messy, but, um, this is good. This is one of the rare occasions where a delay actually gets me more excited because now it gives me a little more breathing room to to actually enjoy other games, just like they said. So it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. All right, we got one more story, Pablo, so go ahead and run us through that one yeah, as well. Yeah, according to rumors stemming from a post in the Playon or Kosh Media Store, Soccer 2 Heart of Chernobyl will be launching on, on December 1st, 2023. While some claim this is simply a placeholder date, other games without release dates have placeholder dates of December 31st on that website. Uh, Koch Media Store has leaked releases of other games in the past, and they've been right about that. So do we think that Stalker 2 is finally releasing this year, or do we think that it misses a 2023 release window? Um, man, I, I'm rooting for this studio so much based on what they've had to kind yeah. of endure. Uh, with the you know the Ukraine Russia situation, um, super unfortunate all around. But I just don't think it's happening this year, man. Yeah, I really don't. Uh, and I and, and to be and to be completely honest, I don't know if they stand to gain anything by trying to force the issue and getting it out this year. Honestly, with how jam packed this this holiday season is going to be, I mean, why not wait? Honestly, like, why not just give yourself a little bit of breathing room in January or February? Put it out by then. That gives you more time to put extra polish on the game. I mean, unless there's some type of financial or quarterly reason why they can't wait any any longer, then I just don't yeah. see any value in trying to squeeze this thing out at the very last minute of the year. Like, that just doesn't make any sense, especially after everything they went through. Don't Don't go through all of that and send your game out to die. Don't do that. Wait, take your time, get it right, um, and you know, make sure that you feel good about the game before you release it. Um, and, and don't, 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 don't lay a brick out here, man. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, their their official website also says 2023. I, I I'm gonna guess it has to be financial. Uh, though I don't know if Xbox specifically or Microsoft specifically would forcefully. I know that they're not Xbox Studio, but like I feel like Xbox would help if it came to to some financial strifes. But uh, my other opinion, which I hope is not the case, is putting it out to die. Uh, you know, it's a game that's probably never going to be right. Uh, it's never going to be ready, so why not put it out now? Uh, that's kind of like the mindset. If if that was were to be the case then it's perfect time to do it in a year we're so jam-packed the conversations would over dominate by next year and we would forget this game but um yeah I, 
I, I don't know if, if this is legit, but if it's coming out December 1st, I think there's some issues about the game that, that unfortunately are going to rear its head once the game comes out. Now, if they do wait, it's because they're confident about it and, and they know that, that they have something special and we'll see it next year. Um, so honestly, again, this would be a delay that would really work out, uh, for them and for everybody involved. Uh, but if, if it's ready and they think that they have something there and it's just, it's just a matter of, okay, we got our ducks lined up in a row and we're ready to release then. Okay. Then maybe it's not, maybe it'll be fine, but it's tough to, to see everything they've gone through and then be like, yeah, that's just 2023 makes perfect sense. It's, it's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree, but we'll keep tabs on it. I mean, Hey, we've had it pre-installed on our Xboxes forever. I see that icon in my sleep now. Um, and Hey, if I got to wait a little bit more to, to wait for a product that they feel good about, then so be it. But, um, I don't see any reason to rush it out this year, especially if it's not really ready to go. Um, but that is going to wrap up hit points this week. Now, before we move on, to the main event of the show, Pablo, it is time to announce the results from last week's poll of the week. Now, if you recall, the poll of the week was which the game dick. come on, not again, <laughs> not two weeks in a row with the dick. God. <laughs> last time. That's the last time. I all right. Ruined my new segments, man. Putting the dick stigma all over it. Ugh. Um, Put my the, dick stink on it. All right. All right. <laughs> Let's just skip the segment. We don't need this. We don't need to do this. It's fine. Our listeners still, well, they'll, they'll be back. All right. Now let, let's actually get there. Um, the question was which game will win the most Game of the Year awards uh, between Starfield, The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, or Baldur's Gate 3? Coming in at the lead spot. Number one at 46.4% was The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. So apparently listeners believe that Tears of the Kingdom, despite all the hype for Starfield and Baldur's Gate 3, will prevail and be uh, the, the, the big winner of all the Game of the Year awards. Coming in at the second place spot at 32.1% was Baldur's Gate 3. And then rounding it out was, of course, Starfield at 21.4%. Uh, Pablo, any thoughts on these results? And do you agree that you think at the end of the day, Zelda will still kind of be the top game of the year when everything's all said and done? Critically. I do. I I, I do. I, I think it will be. I just think um, in terms of like, you got Xbox versus PlayStation, you got Nintendo in its own world doing its own thing. I think that when it comes to ultimately the conversations that that are going to be had and, and, and whoever makes this, those decisions. Well, I think, I think that we'll, we'll settle in at, at, at the tears of the kingdom being the game of the year uh, and, and, and receiving the most awards for that. But um, yeah, I think this is part for the course. You got uh, tears of the kingdom, which is fantastic. You got Baldur's gate three, which is uh, according to, to Metacritic and people who love it is absolutely incredible. Uh, and we got Starfield. It's not yet out. So, uh, it, it's trailing behind a little bit. It makes a lot of sense for me. Uh, we'll see. We'll. It'd be fun to kind of revisit this a little later down the road once we got all the reviews out to see exactly if anything has changed after people have played it. But this is exactly how I thought it would it would go. Actually. Yeah, I'm actually not super surprised either. Um, although recency bias plays a big part in what people think will win Game of the Year awards, I think that uh, Tears of the Kingdom just isn't the kind of game that you forget easily. Yeah. And so I do think that 
for as much as most people love Baldur's Gate 3, and as much as I think a lot of people will love Starfield as well, I think a lot of people are going to ultimately circle back to Tears of the Kingdom and go, yeah, but still, that's the game. Um, So I think critically, uh, that's where I see most publications going. Um, What the fans and the community thinks is anyone's guess, and obviously it's caked with a lot of fanboyism there. But speaking of which, that segues into our new poll of the week that's up now. So uh, that is the following. Which console fanboys are the worst? Is it the PlayStation fanboys, the Xbox fanboys, or the Nintendo fanboys? So be sure to head on over to X or Twitter or whatever you're calling it and find us at It's Cool Down Time. That's I-T-S Cool Down Time to cast your vote now. And be sure to follow us after you vote there so you can come back and check the results at the end of the week with us. Um, But in the meantime, uh, let's go ahead and jump right into the main event of the show that we call the Checkpoint Chat. It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, so we are here in the main event of the show, Pablo, and this segment is going to be a pretty fun one because we finally get to tell you, Pablo, to go blank yourself, uh, especially after being a, a completely diabolical person every week on this show. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, we uh, decided to have a little fun this time around and uh, put each other on the hot seat and ask each other five fill-in-the-blank questions of our choice that have uh, to do with these uh, video games that we love talking about so much. So these questions can be about specific games, they can be about genres, they can be about console makers, they can be about playing habits, pretty much anything we thought of that would be a fun fill-in-the-blank question, we are going to ask each other. Uh, And of course, you listeners at home or wherever you are, uh, feel free to kind of fill in the blanks yourselves and, and think about what you you would do to answer a question like the ones we're going to ask each other here. Uh, so, Pablo, um, who do you want to go in the hot seat first? Do you want to go in the hot seat first, or do you want your boy to go in the hot seat first here? Yeah, I'll go you first. You want to go in the hot seat first? You, you feeling yeah. confident? Okay. All right. Well, I got some. I mean, there's no I'm wrong like, answers, uh, right? There's, there's a couple. There's a couple. I got some. I got some doozies for you here, Pablo. Uh, and so uh, here is the first fill-in-the-blank question out of my five, okay? Your favorite game that aged like milk is blank. Uh, That would be Jet Force Gemini. Ooh, Uh, that's a good choice. I loved, (laughs) loved this game growing up. At the time, it felt like it was better than most games action-adventure games. Uh, but when you look at it now and, and contemporaries in the in Nintendo 64, uh, you know, in the, in the world of Nintendo 64, Jeff Force Gemini is absolutely abysmal. I mean, like, from its <laughs> visuals to its combat, to its archaic game design where you have to find all those tribal bears in order to finish the game. Like, it, it was just like, you have to... It's like, it's the equivalent of shooting 500 pigeons in Grand Theft Auto 4 to see the ending of the game. Like, what? <laughs> they make you do the, the crazy... It's like a hundred of those little tribals. And literally, for you to roll credits, you have to find them all. And they're hidden everywhere. 
and out in a time where there really wasn't readily available to, to kind of look that stuff up. So it's it's just a terrible ass fucking game that I was complete. I played this game for years. I not, not weeks, not months, years. I loved it. looking for all those tribals, and I was like, "This is amazing! So much content!" And I'm like, "Oh my god, this game was awful! Yeah, absolutely terrible." Jet Force Gemini. It is video game padding personified mm-hmm. uh, for sure, and ugly as sin too. Oh, I played that rare replay version, and I Ooh. boy, I got to the title screen and I said, "Nope." Uh, if I had to answer this question, I would say, and this is gonna be a little controversial, but my favorite game at Age Like Milk is Final Fantasy VII. Oh, the original. Um, yeah, the OG. Yeah. Um, man, those those sprites are spriting their little hearts out, and they are just they're they're ugly. They're it's, so ugly. It's a game Oof. when you compare to eight and nine. It's like oh, it's man. not even close. Like eight is no. so beautiful to look at. Nine is 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 also like really awesome yeah. uh, to look at. And the writing and the localization aged horribly, yeah. dude. It's like, oh my god. There's there's mad typos in the game that I didn't even remember they Who were there. I'm me? like, oh. Yeah, it might have been boy <laughs> listen when i pull this when i pull this docket up sometimes and i see what this man wrote hammered he must have been hammered hey, he must have been on the that's thing why they, on the that's things, why they called the me uh type of mcgee they don't they, yeah yeah that was my nickname for you because i'm getting on here dude the, the vowels and the consonants of it that don't it's, go it's that, that, that don't, dyslexia probably i don't know Oof. All i right. got problems well, in my brain yeah, it, we, we know don't worry um all right, let's move on to the second question, Pablo. Uh, keep you squirming in the hot seat here. Um, here we go. The Blank franchise desperately needs a reboot. So this one... What do you got this here? This one's a little bit kind of like, really, like, this is what you would pick. But I would say, for me, the Metal Gear Solid franchise desperately needs a reboot. And the reason, okay. and the reason before, it's... Obviously, this game is so attached to Kojima in ways that it almost feels impossible to to see more of this game. But I I think that actually Kojima did a disservice to the game as to where he left it. And so it would be really hard to continue it because it's in such a disarray when it comes to story, timeline, things that have been taken back, things that really don't make sense, that don't really add up when you look at them, when you scrutinize it under, uh, you know, under a microscope. So I think that the only way to continue one of my favorite franchises of all time is completely rebooted from the ground up. Obviously, keep the characters and keep the general idea of what Metal Gear is, but reboot it and use another uh, uh, another developer or who has uh, who is specifically known to, to to be creative in that space to to do its own thing with it and not have to in any way, shape, or form kind of. Uh, kojima it you know make mm. the game but make it your own you know make that your vision um and i don't know if i like it but i think that in terms of a a, a franchise that's so well known and so amazing and 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 the state of it where it's at now give me the remix all day every day sure but to continue the series and, and just to kind of the the to follow the essence of your question in desperation Metal Gear Solid needs to be rebooted. Yeah, I had a feeling that's exactly what you were going to pick, so I was kind of on the money there. Um, Yeah, if I had to pick uh, uh, an answer for this fill-in-the-blank, I would put Assassin's Creed here. I think that 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 series 
whether it comes to the the narrative and you know the future timeline with Abstergo and they abandoned that couple games in and now this this it, the, the series just feels kind of listless and now it's going into like supernatural um you know territory and a lot of gods and you know yeah. types of things like that like it just to me it's getting so messy and outrageous now that I just think they need to completely hit the reset button. They won't, they obviously, won't, yeah. because they're Ubisoft and they don't know how to do anything right, uh, it seems. But I think Assassin's Creed really needs a reboot to kind of wipe the slate clean, get your story and your lore reorganized again, and just do a better job because it's just it's getting it's getting silly yeah, out here it really now. Is. It's just like we're we're gonna put it in this you know era now, and that's become the chic thing about the franchise. You know, like oh now it's in feudal Japan, now it's in Greece, now it's here, now it's there, and that's all it really has to it. Now. And then by their own admission, releasing Mirage, stripping all the shit that we hate. And releasing mm -hmm. that, them literally admitted to us, we know you hate this shit that we've done with the other stuff, so let's give you something a little bit more stripped back the way you would actually want the series to be, which is so crazy. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, Pablo, you're still on the hot seat right now, so let's go ahead and get to the third question that you need to fill in the blank for, and it is the following. Your biggest game design pet peeve is blank. Now, for the listeners out there, clarity, that means, you know, the annoying things that games do, uh, like some people hate water levels, some people hate long loading times, or some, you know, things that those, those little nagging annoyances, that's kind of what we're going for here. So, Pablo, how would you fill in this particular blank? What's your answer? I don't know how to word it specifically, so I wrote kind of like the artificial blocking of levels with shit like small wooden boxes. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> So like, <laughs> it's so annoying. Yeah, like the invisible walls, yeah, invisible basically. Walls. But this putting the dumb thing you exactly, can climb over. That, yeah. That's it, yeah, invisible <laughs> walls, easily removable wood planks, or even like shrubbery uh, that that you for whatever reason can't uh, get across. And to me, it baffles my mind because these people are actually in there creating these levels, and then like fucked up or something. Oh yeah, they can't go that way. Let's go to block it off and put three wooden boxes by the way your, your your player is a god and you can't get past three wooden boxes it's like it's it's i hate i don't know how to make games and i would never really uh, sit here and be like you're lazy but that just i see that and that feels lazy to me like oh it almost feels like the department that made the levels had no idea what the story was going to be so they created this really cool looking shit gave it to the story team and story team's like oh well we need to, to kind of filter them over here oh they can't this is an open area let's put three shrub or three bushes <laughs> in the corner that he can it's it, it's so annoying and it and in 2023 and this is a game that we've been fucking up all year long but final fantasy 16 a, a triple a game hundreds of millions of dollars put into this bro this dude can double jump like 30 feet in the air he can't get over like three wooden boxes to get to the other side oh my god it's them damn three wooden boxes, huh? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's like, what are these things made of? Like, it's, and, and the thing is, it's like, especially in games like that, Final Fantasy, again, you could literally make up anything to stop you from going past that. You know, so many games have these invisible walls that you really don't see. Uh, and 
<laughs> the fact that you <laughs> they show this so blatantly in some of these, it's so embarrassing. Like, I get you if your game is like a small indie game and you're trying to make it look cool with, with your visuals and you have to block it in order to kind of filter people into the place you want them to go. But if you're a huge AAA studio and you're still doing that, stop that shit. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah. that's a, that's a great answer. I always get, I always think it's funny. I don't get irritated about it, but I can see, I can see you getting genuinely bothered about it and going like tweeting about it immediately after. Yeah, it's so like I a can't jump over. I can't jump over this this grocery bag from Publix that's blocking my path. <laughs> it's like, sorry, I just beat a dragon, turned into a three hundred and twenty five foot monster but this wooden cart is unpenetrable baby get out of here it's insane that is it's absolutely insane. a pablo tweet right there um, yeah, it's insane my yeah. answer for this is it, this one's a petty one but it just this always irks me and this happens more so with games from japan yeah i my biggest game design pet peeve is having to press a button to advance every line of dialogue I hate oh, that. Yeah, man. I oh. hate it. I need auto dialogue opportunities to have. I need. I need to enable that. I don't want to keep pressing. Okay, and they say every sentence, and you have to hit the button, and the button, and the button, and the button. Like my thumb does not need to deal with this right now. And, and there's games that have the auto yeah um, dialogue, but then when you start a new conversation, you have to activate Do it, it again. again. I'm like, yeah. Oh, oh my god, that's even worse. I'm like, so you can't remember my decision to <laughs> to make my life easier? You can't remember that? Oh my god, it drives uh, me crazy, bro. Um, there was so many other ones that I thought of too. Like you know, the, one of the standard ones people hate is when cutscene ends, take five steps. Another cutscene cut starts. Yeah, yeah, that one's a pretty oh common one. But you know, I, that this one for me, this one turns me off immediately. The runner-up for this one though is when there's no uh, voice dialogue, but they use blip sounds instead. Constantly, like, oh my god, kill yourself! I, I hate what I hate worse than that though is. When it's like a whole sentence and the guy goes, oh, yeah, or something. He says something. <laughs> yeah, they have a whole paragraph of dialogue in text, but the, all you hear is, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? Yeah. Or like the like uh, some games just do like the first word. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, oh, my God, this is a, a Persona does do that. No. Persona does yeah. that. I ain't going to lie. Uh, I man, Never mind. I'm, I'm putting KOTOR back at the three spot. <laughs> Forget it. All right, Pablo. Hot seat. Still there. Question number four, fill in the blank, all right? You wish gamers would stop complaining about blank. Frame rate. Ooh. Frame rate. I know well, we it's might important. Fight. Wait a minute. Okay. But I know it's important. I know it's important. Okay. And, and, okay. And a game running at 30 frames is not a bad thing, but if it dips below that, I get it. But the fact that people have latched like onto those types of debates when talking about games, like Starfield. Like Starfield is a bad game because it's running at 30 frames. It's an absolute insane uh, debate point. Like, uh, I. I the thing is, they pick and choose when it matters. Like, it, it, a game is unplayable at 30 frames, and then they play a game that is 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 only 30 frames on their PlayStation or their Xbox. It's it's just it doesn't. There's never a consistent thing about 30 frames. It's always either the worst thing or it's fine. Like it, it just, I just hate people complaining about frame rate because they've weaponized it. Is my issue. They've weaponized the conversation of frame rate, and if all else fa- all else fails, this game is amazing in every aspect. Oh, but it runs at 30 frames. Uh, 
trash. Like, come on. This that's such a ridiculous thing to complain about in the sense where like the game is amazing and it's running at 30 frames and it's built to run at 30. But I hate I hate just them complaining about that constantly over and over. I think Starfield really just gotten to a point where I'm like, it's it's all you got, frame rate, 30 frames. That's mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing. Good for you. It's I hate it. Yeah. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. My answer to this would be I wish gamers would stop complaining about each other. <laughs> oh my god. Can you guys just enjoy your meal without complaining about what the other person's eating? Is it why do you care about That's what like other people are doing with their gaming sessions, what they play, what they like? Why are people coming in and butting in to people's passion? And telling people how to feel and, well, if you like this thing, that that makes you this. And everybody's quick to label each other nowadays. Like, I don't mean to be the like the resident old head. Well, back in my day, console wars were, were nicer. But back in my day, console wars were nicer than this. And I think now it's just, you know, the fanboy toxicity. That's part of the reason why we did that poll earlier is just because no one seems to be content with just letting people play and like what they like. Everyone's got to be horrible to each other and complain about each other it's ridiculous the biggest shit that i remember like being like oh shit was the sega uh marketing uh sega does what nintendo don't oh "Oh, shit oh my god (laughs) that was that was the worst the worst of it um but yeah man i agree with you they 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 act like my child acts in daycare recently i found out that my child loves to eat his food and then reach across to his neighbor's foods look at it and just either eat it or throw it out Still, very Pablo of him. Again, just very, yeah. But still, like, the fact, that's how they're acting. They're like, I'm eating mine, I'm enjoying my shit. What are you eating? Your shit's trash. Like, why? It's just ridiculous. Why don't you like the same things I do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you're an asshole. Uh, Because I hate applesauce, asshole. (laughs) Shouts out to Gerber Baby Foods, man. Expensive. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on, Pablo, to the fifth and final fill-in-the-blank question while I got you on this here hot seat. And it is the following. My butt burning. Blank got lower review scores than it deserved. It could be a, a game that's older. It could be a recent game. Yeah. But fill in that blank, my friend. I wanted to do something newer. I was thinking Oxenfree 2 because we're currently sitting at a 78. And that game is not a 78 game. That's no. ridiculous. But there's one that's more egregious. And it's a game that I've come to to, to really enjoy in the last like five years. And that's Mad Max. Um, ah. Mad Max sits at a 69 in Metacritic. That's wild. That, that game is fucking awesome. That game is great. It's not the best type of open world uh, game but it is a really great combat great car combat really interesting and cool story uh, I, I that game is amazing and it, it's currently sitting at a 69 in Metacritic that's that's insanity it makes no sense at all and I think that it's an egregious uh, I think we should re- re-rate that game because at the <laughs> very least it should be above a 75 80 even because it's so good it's so good yeah, that's a good choice. I didn't know it was reviewed that low. I didn't really care for it too much myself because I'm not a Mad Max fan or anything like that, but that seems abnormally low based on what people but have so- have said about that game. I can't remember what game came out at the same time that overshadowed it, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people never came back to it. 
But even I, I'm a I like Mad Max, but even coming back to it in the last five years, the things that they were doing in that game were really special. Like they took the Arkham combat system, made it their own, and really made it work for them. They they used the the bland desert stuff to their advantage because it's such open areas with the car combat. The story is very Mad Max. The 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 the, the gun combat is really good. Like it feels really responsive. Like they did a lot of right with that game to the point where I think sixty nine is just it, it just it's it's no good. No good. Yeah. Good number, but not in that context. Um yeah. my choice if I had to answer this question, Pablo, and I think you'd agree with me here too. Quantum Break I think oh, got a raw deal. At? It's a seventy seven on Metacritic, which I think Ooh, is, a, that's crazy. I think that's 10 points too low, if I'm being completely honest. And I think people leaned into that game in a hateful way because it had the the show that was kind of weaved in between yeah. episodes. And that was the that was the peak TV, TV, TV era for Xbox One. And I think a lot hey, of- That shit was fire, by the way. Which was fire. But I think a lot of yeah. reviewers were kind of being really like- we got to tear this thing down, this whole TV integration concept. Let's let's make this game the casualty. Because I, th- I think Quantum Break story is excellent. I think the gameplay is so incredibly fun, especially if you went on to enjoy games like Control. If you haven't played Quantum Break yet and you don't mind 30 frames per second right now, you're going to get a great, great game. Good characters. And it looked good. Oh, still looks good. I downloaded it about still, a month yeah, ago. You're yeah, right. Auto HDR enabled and everything. So it... it holds up remarkably well and that story is just top tier remedy so i would pick that one as my choice it's not like they gave it up like horrible reviews but to me 77 just doesn't feel right whatsoever uh so that'd yeah, be my that's pick. So good all right pablo you are you are off the hot seat you said your butt was burning so you can go ahead and get up off there i'm gonna go ahead and my booty hot. i'm gonna take a seat right here thanks for keeping it warm uh mm. it's a little weirdly sticky here okay that's strange um <laughs> All right, <laughs> all right, Pablo. So you are up. It is time for you to ask me right. your five questions. And I want you to. I want you to put a little bit of drama here in your questions. I want you to. I want you to go get in your theater bag here and make these make these questions sound impactful for the people. But I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. What do you got for me? Let's go. Black is the most influential. <laughs> Sorry, no, right. that's not what you wanted. Not at all. All right, Marco. Here we go. Blank. Yes. Is the most influential game developer of all times Oof, let me tell you something i actually loved this question because influential doesn't exactly mean the best of the best it means right who has been literally the most influential and i, I think some people are gonna hate my answer and i think you probably will too i think you'll be a little surprised okay. i'm going there's only one before you say it uh-huh to everybody knows out there, there's only one right answer to this. Oh, well, I, I'm Let's definitely not going to get it right because you, you didn't see this coming. <laughs> I'm actually going to go with Bungie. Mm. I got Bungie here, and this is why. Think about it for a second. They revolutionized first-person shooters forever with Halo Combat Evolved. Never been the same since then. Changed the course of shooters forever. Wouldn't be a lot of franchises. I would even dare say wouldn't even be Call of Duty okay. without, without Halo being Halo, right? Not to say it was the first ever. I don't, I don't mean that. I just mean when it came out, it changed for first-person shooters forever. Sandbox. First-person sandbox style as well for multiplayer. Then with multiplayer, revolutionizing online multiplayer forever with lobbies and parties and a lot of things, voice chat. There was a, there was a lot of firsts when it comes to online first-person shooter multiplayer that Halo 
created, perfected, revolutionized, you name it, they did it. And then, of course, whether you love Destiny or you hate Destiny, you can't deny the success of Destiny. So you also have to look at Bungie as influential from a live service standpoint. No, no one likes live services. Most of us hate them. But you can't deny that Bungie, for the most part, has had a grip on what makes a successful, long-running live service experience. So whether it comes to shooting, the first-person shooter experience, the sandbox experience, the online multiplayer experience, and games-as-service experience, I think Bungie has really paved the way and influenced a huge portion of what gaming is today. Uh, They may not be the best, but they are damn sure to me the most influential of all time, especially in the modern era. Era. Yeah, I, I listen. I think that's a great answer. Um, I was joking about the one right answer. I, I think that the cheat answer here, the thing that people should, it's the easy answer, and what I would have picked just because I'm a cheater, is uh, Nintendo. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, I thought about that, but Nintendo is such a. It's just, it's like, but who in Nintendo? You know, you don't really know who's right, who right, in Nintendo. Right. So, so, so I was gonna, and I agree, and I was gonna be like Nintendo, and I'll say anything that Miyamoto was involved in, which is probably research and development one or two. That I forget which one is which, um, but that's what I would have kind of attached Miyamoto to. Whatever Miyamoto was attached to in Nintendo, that's for me has been the most influential. Mm. Uh, but the caveat there is even as saying that, thinking of it about it, there are a lot of games in the world that have taken what Miyamoto has done and with and, and that development studio has done. However, I would say they've influenced themselves more than anybody else. Uh, like they've influenced the next Kirby, the next Mario, more than they influenced the next whatever. But in, in that sense, I still I, I would still stick with my answer as 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 that because you're not going to get a lot of these mascot uh, 3D platformers without Nintendo. But that that's a good uh, wrong answer, Marco. Let's move to number two here. Right. Uh, still at the hot seat. I'm I'm I'm, I'm cranking up the heat a little bit oh. here. Make sure to burn the. The anus hairs off your body. Okay. All uh, right. The game you've eaten the most crow about is blank. The game I ate the most crow about. Man, there's been some standouts uh, since we've done the show. But I think if I had to pick one, um, boy, I talked a lot of shit about Hideo Kojima, man. I did. Yeah. I got on Kojima's ayas about Death Stranding. And yeah. I've had some pretty epic rants about him in that game and then i played it earlier this year and i kind of sat there with my little dual sense in my hand and i just went i kind of like it (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna say that's probably the one i've eaten the most crow about because um it was to me in my brain it was everything that people had stigmatized it was the walking sim to me it was yeah. a bunch of gobbledygook lore that didn't make any sense to me and i just i couldn't get into it i i can't tell you how many times i downloaded that thing played it for 5 minutes and went nah all over again and how many times i started oh, over how many times i started from from square one and thought okay I'm coming back to it i mean it this time i'm going to play it from moment number 1 all the way to the end that's it and i get 12 minutes and I'm like, oh God, I can't do this. But I finally <laughs> committed myself to it. I got it. I was in the right mindset for it too. I didn't want anything action packed at the time. I just wanted to kind of run around, do my thing, listen to some podcasts, you know, in real life while I'm playing. And, you know, it, it just kind of started gelling for me and the narrative pieces came together and I'm like, oh, I was wrong. I was kind of wrong. So 
Yep. I am a newly converted Death Stranding fan. I still think that game has a lot of problems. Don't get me wrong. It's not infallible. It's got some issues, but I was wrong. I'm eating crow. But yeah. uh, what about you? What would you pick? Yeah, I mean, I really was trying to think because I... Because um, you've been wrong. I, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I can't really remember one that... Uh, speci- I remember one, but I can't really... I was trying to think, eh, there's got to be more than this one. But I, I, the reason I say this was because I've been the most public about it on the on the show. And that was uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus, where <laughs> we wouldn't even say that na- that name's game right. We were like... You had no Archuleta. respect. Yeah, it was... It, it, nothing about that game looked good in any way, shape, or form to me. I thought it was, it was going to be bland. It was just going to be open world of nothingness. And it's a lot of that. But also, it's Pokemon, and it's a fucking great time. Loved playing my uh, my time with that game. More than I thought I ever would, mm. specifically in, t- in sense of how that game changed. And I was just out here. But I was outside with this game all the time, every time, just calling it all kinds of A names, uh, you know? Uh, it was... He never so ran that's out, pro- yeah. Yeah, that's probably the one that I can recall, the most recent one that I... You, you can actually roll the tape back and, and hear me and, and hear you know me go at it. Is there any, is there any game that you can think of that I might have been a little bit no you're normally you're normally pretty staunch where, where you stand with something I've, I've not really seen you turn around on a game very often i think when you when you've made up your mind you've made up your mind so i, I haven't yeah. seen you change a lot to my um, detriment yeah and in in, in in your real life um but yeah, yeah let's keep rolling <laughs> <laughs> marco the 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 questions continue here yes um now i want to add some context to this question yes um I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the question and then I'm gonna add the context and and um, actually no this is not the one this is I I skipped one oh, okay. Uh, so okay. l- let me let me actually go back to three I skipped three so Marco if you never see another game in this genre and this blank mm-hmm. genre you will be just fine it's okay and I want to do I actually want to have a caveat here and I'm sorry I put a little bit of twist on your thing don't go for the easy one don't say a puzzle game. Don't say something that oh, you'll I'm, never play well, anyway. No, I mean, it's not an easy, it's not something like that, but it's what you'd expect me to answer, though. Oh, that's okay. As okay. long as it's not something that's like another puzzle RTS. It's like, yeah, well, nobody <laughs> fucking wants that. <laughs> well, here's what, I, here's what I'll say, though. Maybe this is still a cop-out, but if, if I never see another game in the roguelike genre, Preach. I will be just fine. Get these games out of my face i'm so done hearing about oh you know the platforming and the 2d side scrolling action is great and the combat's tight and responsive and everything feels so good it's just like dead cells but better and it's like souls elements and it's a, but you die and you start over and you gotta re-roll and it's oh stop man like i get it some games like hades and and, and spelunky i guess those those games do things right but I'm uh, dead cells is another example, but uh, enough, yeah. man. Like get some uh, get some new ideas. A lot of times these themes are roguelikes because they don't have enough content to make more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, m- more for you to play rather. So they just well, let's just make them die and start over, and they can just replay it again. And maybe, maybe we'll make it Pablo's favorite thing and procedurally generate all of our levels Ooh. so it feels new every time. And it's coolo. <laughs> everything is wrong with that dude. So. You can get you can get roguelikes out of here forever, and I would I would not lose a wink of sleep. I'd love to agree with you because I equally 
dislike the the roguelike genre but i i want to I, I thought about this for myself like how would i answer this truthfully and honestly to me and it just so happens that it's super spicy it's fighting if games I, if no no if i never see another game in the metroidvania genre oh i'm gonna kill I'll you be just fine all right so I'll be just fine. so th- all be- right pablo say your goodbyes to your family right now go in the living room <laughs> Look, it's it's not because I, I I have any examples of those games being terrible. It's just that every time I I I play a game, whether I know or then realize that it is a Metroidvania, it's just like oh, I gotta come back through here later with the right key or right move. And it's like like there's certain games that I can get through, like Guacamelee, but their 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 Metroidvania elements are so light where it's like go up to the corner. Then five minutes later, come back down and go. And it's not like other games where it's like you'll get there later, like eight hours later. Oh, shut the fuck! Like the backtracking, the backtracking. Oh, I hate the backtracking. Oh, everyone backtracking loved it in Star Wars Jedi Survivor, but let it be in Metroidvania. No, I, I know, I get it, I get it, and and that's a flaw, sure. But in terms of like add that to to and look. That game definitely has Metroidvania um, aspects to it, a Survivor, but. They're mostly just come back later for side stuff. It isn't essential to the main story. If the, if if I couldn't beat the game unless I had a back, uh, that would have been a different story. But it, that's why I'm okay with elements of Metroidvanias in my games. But when the game itself is a Metroidvania game, I can't get into it. I want to Hollow Knight. I'd love to get into that. Hollow can't Knight. Do it. Yeah, Metroid Dread. Metroid Dread. Can't do it. I just I just can't. It's just not my thing. If I never saw a game in that genre, I would personally be would be okay. I'm not gonna let you tarnish my mental health today. I, I need. No, that. no, no. I mean, I, you know, it's, no. it's a me thing. I I understand it's a genre that people uh, wrongfully like. It's cool, man. It's cool to be wrong sometimes. Question number four in the hot seat, Marco. I'm gonna add some context to this one. Let me ask a question, yeah. and then I'll add the context just so we we know exactly where my head was when I wrote this. Number four, Marco, if you had to delete one game from your top five games of all time, that game would be blank. Now, obviously, like you mentioned, uh, you would say number five. Yeah, it would be number five. Done. Right. Next question. Yeah. Right. But no, that's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying the game you pick, sequel, spinoff, and anything that that game's inspired within the video game industry just completely completely does not exist anymore. So example, if your number five game inspired your number one or number two game, essentially what you're doing is you're subtracting two games from your top five from existence in that way, if it turns out to be that. Way. But that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I guess the best way of doing this right now would for, for you to tell us what your top five games are, right. and then we'll go from there. So uh, Marco, let me ask the question one more time with the context in hand. If you had to delete one game from your top five games of all time, all the time, mm. that game would be blank. Oof. All right. So here, here's my list for context. My number one is Metal Gear Solid. My number two is The Last of Us. My number three is Final Fantasy VII. My number four is Mass Effect Two, And my number five is Metal Gear Solid Two: Sons of Liberty. So... I hate you for this question, first and foremost, and always. Um, but you know, if I had to pick in it with that kind of context, I would cut Mass Effect 2. And I I hate it. I hate that I would do that, but I would do that. 
it, if it meant not tarnishing the future of Metal Gear, the future of The Last of Us, and the future of Final Fantasy, as much as I would hate to see Mass Effect stop after one game, I would prefer Mass Effect being a one-and-done game yeah. rather than losing anything from those other franchises. So that would be my pick if I had to choose. But you got to answer this one too, bro, because you, you made this one difficult. So I'm curious to hear oh, what you say. shit. Yeah, I didn't even think about oh, this. Oh, yeah. No, um, no, no. You're not leaving me out here. No, you better you better right, get that top go, 10 list pulled up yeah, for the people. Pull that, let me pull that sucker All right. it, which I have it readily available. All right, because I know you got Borderlands here. in that top five, right? I know you got- Oh, the Bor- Borderlands. And you got Barbie's and... Horse Adventures in there. Right. So yeah. So number one is uh, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Number two is Red Dead Redemption Two. Number three is Metal Gear Solid Three: Snake Eater. Uh, number four is Tears of the Kingdom, and number five is The Witcher Three. Well, Jesus Christ. Um. Ah. Uh, yeah. Feel that pain. Feel it. Feel the burn. It would. Be- pain me to do this because I, I, I genuinely think that one day this could be my number one game of all time. It would be Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, Justice. It's just same reason for Marco's reason. It, it, it's, it's obviously we've gotten nothing <laughs> since then, but if I if it oh if it just meant that I got Red Dead Redemption one and nothing and that's it. I would rather that than obviously the Ocarina of Time would completely delete all the other games after no way I'm doing that. Metal Gear, same reasons. The Witcher three. I I I I want to see so much more in that in in that genre and, and see what they have. Yep. I love The Witcher three, uh, but obviously that's what that's where it would be for me. It would be Red Dead Redemption two, and that sucks. And I hate you. I hate me that I asked for it. And I hate that you asked me right back. Yeah, that's what Fuck you get. You, that's man. what you get for that Metroidvania bullshit you said. But well, man, I digress. I, I, but hey, don't worry, because I'm gonna get you back here with the number five and final question here in the hot seat. Um, it's it's a it's a three parter, Marco, because you know I can I can't Man, do cheats easy. every time we do a five. I, I, I gotta do go twelve things. <laughs> I gotta go crazy. I, I I want you to make some predictions about the big three. Okay. And and we'll do this by section. Okay. So I'll I'll give you one, and then you give me the answer. In ten years, PlayStation and their live service strategy will be blank. I. They'll be I, and and what I mean by that is, I feel like a lot of the games are going to be garbage, but that I know PlayStation they're they're gonna they're gonna have one of them be a hit, they're, they will. I just feel it, and they may not once they have that hit, games as service title they may not go as hard in the paint for like to make more games as service titles because they have their money printer. So hopefully the success of one game will save the community from having to deal with another onslaught of more and more and more live service games. So I think it'll suck at first and then there'll be that one game that's like, ooh, that 
Yeah, it's actually kind of fun. It's actually kind of good. And it might be Marathon. I think if I had to put a bet on it, I would say Marathon has the best chance. Again, the bungee pedigree, they kind of know what they're doing. They're not They're not perfect. They're kind of in, in the doghouse right now with Destiny 2 from what I've heard from fans. But generally yeah. speaking, they kind of have their wits about them when it comes to this live service stuff. And I have no doubt that people are going to be coming in droves to see what they do with yeah. Marathon. So I'd say I is my my answer for that one. For me, it would be PlayStation and the live service strategy will be non-existent. I think, no, I think that, it's gone. Yeah, I think they're going to cut bait. I think they're going to go back to the things that work for them. Uh, that's always worked for them, uh, making single-player type games. Sure, they'll have some multiplayer games thrown in there. But in terms of a live service strategy, I think for the survivability of the of, of the of Sony and, I, and a company that not as rich as Nintendo or Xbox, they can't be out on the limb for so long and i think that ultimately they'll go back to the things that work um that's kind of where i'm at yeah so the second part of that question marco in 10 years xbox and their game pass initiative will be blank it will be the same but more expensive that's what i have as my answer um i think a big problem that i foresee for game pass is microsoft not knowing how to evolve the service I, I, I think that's going to become a real problem for them. Yes, right now the big mission is we need to get first-party games out and to get that cadence where it needs to be. That's eventually going to happen. But when that happens, I think the question is then going to shift to, okay, you got that down, but now what? And I think that's going to be a real tricky one for Game Pass as a platform to solve. Do you go with more games in the service? Do you go with less and carefully curate it more? Do you try to get more eclectic games into the service again? Do you not maybe go as hard with third-party relationships and you make it more of a first-party service now that your cadence is better with your first-party releases? I don't know, but I I, I think that in the end, it'll be kind of a break-even type of, uh, of service 10 years from now, but with price hikes that will obviously account for inflation in the future and potentially more acquisitions that they get down the road uh, just to account for those. But I'd say the same, but more expensive. But what about you? I think in 10 years, Xbox and the Game Pass initiative will be everything. Will be the only thing Xbox has to offer. It will literally become the Netflix of video games. And it would eventually just be, they'll have a console, but it it will just be Game Pass. Xbox is Game Pass. It isn't Xbox, the console has Game Pass. It'll just be. When you think about Xbox, it's Game Pass, and that's it. With your initiatives, play it anywhere, TV, whatever it is. It's going to be a streaming service, and I think it's going to be the the core essence of it. It'll be kind of like Apple TV that has a little box where you can use your Apple TV. That will be. It'll still be a console. Don't get me wrong. Third party games and all that. So you're saying but you're I saying st- Game Pass is the platform, and Xbox is just a device at that point. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it would. That's going to flip. I think that that the that their their main thing is going to be Game Pass, and the secondary thing will be uh it's it's console, which they'll still have. Yeah, uh, I can see that available. I can see that. All right, last part of the question here, Marco. In ten years, the general consensus of the Switch Two will be. Hmm. This one might this one might make people a little worried, but I'm going to say that the general consensus of the Switch Two will be, quote, it's just a Switch Pro. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, I have no doubt that it's going to have some, you know, some unique features and blah, 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 but I wouldn't at all be surprised if the 
successor to the Switch is basically a more refined Switch in that maybe it's basically the same architecture, but with you know, obviously more up-to-date hardware, maybe a better battery life for portability, um, maybe, you know, better controls, better better Joy-Con. Maybe it's just like an enhanced, evolved version of what the Switch is. And for that, people won't really feel like it... They won't feel like it feels like a new a new hardware, piece of hardware. They'll feel like it's just an evolution of the Switch. Uh, and maybe that's what they're going for on purpose. I don't know. But I, I think that... Unless they have some crazy ass gimmick in the tuck that they're going to roll out for this new console, I no I can see yeah. the takeaway being, oh yeah, it's it's basically just a Switch Pro, and that's okay, and I think people will be all right with that. But I don't know if it's going to basically like break new ground in the way that like the Wii did, or when, or even when the Switch first did, um, because yeah, yeah, that yeah. novelty is kind of gone now that there's a Steam Deck and there's a Rog Ally and so on and so forth. So I think they're just going to go for potentially maybe a more powerful version of what they already do, and that'll be what they do, and it'll be enough. Yeah, I I, I went a little further with mine, like I went into like. The, the the end like looking at it at the end cycle of the switch two what would that mean and I think that ultimately the switch two uh will the general consensus will be that it's lesser than the first switch it would sell it's going to sell less and it and its software will be looked upon as stale uh, now remember I'm talking about general consensus not that I think that would happen but I think like more Mario ten in, in in five six seven years. More Zelda, I think, would be looked upon as, all right, we've seen this before, and and now your your first party games are getting a little stale. I think that's kind of where the general consensus is. I think it already was there to begin with. It's just that games like uh, Tears of the Kingdom and, and Breath of the Wild completely like changed video games in in, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, barring that from happening again, which is you know lightning has already struck twice in in one place, and this is coming from a Zelda fan. Yeah. I think that um uh you know I think that the the Switch Two will be looked upon not like the Wii U. Because that Wii U was a disaster, but more like the GameCube or something where like Switch was better. Switch Two is just more of the same. We're not 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 many people are gonna buy it. like people's grandma are buying the Switch. You know, it's not gonna be it's not gonna have that kind of penetration within the with the culture, uh, and would ultimately just kind of looked upon as a little stale, and then they'll have to reinvent themselves again in ten years. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, with all it's that. it's interesting because we both kind of have a very like muted sort of grounded you know, outlook for, for the next console. And, and, uh, you know, maybe we're both not giving Nintendo enough credit for being creative potentially with the new console, but I don't know. I think that they, they are going to return to the well, kind of like you were saying. And I, I don't know if it's really going to set the world on fire as much as the original switch did. And maybe derivative games, you know, that feel like kind of repetitive might start to be a problem after all. I don't know. I don't think it's going to stop games from selling like crazy. The next Zelda is not going to, you know, not going to limp out of the gate by any means, but I do agree that they might run into some problems with like, okay, all you're doing is a prettier looking version of what you did on the original switch. You know what I mean? Like I can hear that kind of being a thing uh, in terms of a complaint. Um, But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if that's the direction they go or if they go in the left field all over again and do something out of complete nowhere that we didn't know was going to happen. So 
Um, yeah. Yeah. But that uh, that's going to wrap up our checkpoint chat. That was a lot of fun. Um, I can see us running that back again with some more fill in the blank questions. Hopefully, hopefully you listeners uh, forgave me for just saying hopefully wrong and also enjoyed uh, maybe answering those questions yourselves as you were listening to us wherever you are. Um, Speaking of which, if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to our show uh, if you like what you heard. And also be sure to follow us on Instagram, X, or even Threads if you still care about that place at It's Cooldown Time if you want to keep us in your FOV in between episodes, and especially if you want to vote in our poll of the week that we mentioned earlier. Uh, but in the meantime, that is going to do it for this week's show. Uh, thank you all for listening. Hope you had fun, and we will see you next week. Take care. Mama! <laughs> Not every episode you gotta end that way. You don't do that. Don't do that. Mama!